0: $1.83. Canadian households now owe $1.83 for every dollar of disposable income they have. That's what Stats Canada says. The amount the Canadians owe got higher while the value of their assets declined. And with the bank's seventh consecutive rate hike this year, even the bank governor said that deficits are increasing inflation. That, in turn, leads to those higher interest rates. So now Canadians are stuck with the biggest bills they've ever seen. The more this government spends, the more things cost. So when will the Liberals stop making Canadians pay for their wasteful spending
1: If you follow federal politics in any way shape or form, if you're one of those hardcore people that watches question period every day even if you only follow it on social media, that voice you just heard will be a familiar one. Melissa Lanceman was first elected in the 2021 federal election might seem like a meteoric rise for her to be one of the go-to people for the Conservative Party to turn to in question period, but if you've been following her career for a while, if you've known her, then it's been a slow, progressive move up the chain. Hi, my name's Brian Lilly. I'm the guest host for Full Comment this week, and we're joined by Melissa Lansman, who went from political staffer to private sector guru of sorts to now MP. She joins me from her office in Ottawa. Uh, Melissa, thank you for the time.
0: It's good to be here.
1: So let's talk about this. You have become kind of the pitbull, for lack of a better term. It, it's, it's a role that many have held, in, including your current leader in the past. You seem to be the person that the party turns to. Tell us about your official role and then what you're doing and asking. You know, What is your official critic's role? But what are you spending your time on when holding the Trudeau government's feet to the fire?
0: Well, I, I think I'll take that as a uh, as a compliment. Uh, if if Pitbull goes, if if I if I understand uh, Pitbull in the same way that you do, uh, look, I'm. Uh I was honoured to be chosen in this uh, since the election of the new leader as uh, as the deputy leader, as one of two deputy leaders. Uh, and you're right, I play uh, I play a role in the in the House. I play a role in in different committees, and I play a role in in holding the government to account and being the voice of frankly i think a lot of canadians who feel like their voice isn't being heard with uh with this government so i get to be uh the understudy with my friend tim upple who's an experienced parliamentarian who's uh who's been a minister uh who takes on some of the uh uh the outreach role and i get to do um what i think i do pretty well in uh in the house of commons and beyond
1: how did you get here you know, for people in the Toronto area, they may know you from media appearances, uh, from your time hosting a talk show on News Talk 1010. Where, hey, roles are reversed. I was a guest on your show. Now right. I get to be the host. Um, but how did you get here? You, you I, I first met you more years than either one of us would like <laughs> to admit uh, when you were a, a younger political staffer. But how did you get into into politics to where you are now? Take us through a, a bit of your backstory. In, in terms of why politics, why the conservatives?
0: For sure. Look, I um, I uh, I play the millennial on TV, so we won't talk about how long we've known each other, but <laughs> um, but on the you know on in in politics, I'd always had one foot in the door of uh, of politics, and I was interested in it as a uh, as a young person, uh, even dating back to to high school, where I walked into a campaign office, met some of my best friends uh, until today, some of the, 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 you know, our mutual friends uh, on that first campaign. I think I was 14 or 15 years old, uh, and I kind of never left. I did I did other things. I worked in the private sector. I, um, you know, I was planning on uh, going through school and going through law school and, and pursuing uh, an academic career, and I just couldn't stay away. So part of it was volunteering. Part of it was being, uh, being a staffer then I got into the, the commentary part of it. Somebody was crazy enough to give me a radio show where you and I can banter mm-hmm. uh, for an hour on, uh, on, on Sunday nights. And uh, I'd, always, I'd always had a foot in politics, no matter what I did. And I knew that when the opportunity came around that I couldn't pass it up to try and serve the community that I came from.
1: You, you sound a bit like um, Pacino, in Godfather Three, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. Like it's got you, and you can't let it go. That that's a pretty common thing for a lot of politicos, isn't it?
0: It's a pretty common thing for I think anybody that uh, you know that thinks they they might have some of the answers, they might have some of the solutions, uh, and is willing to to work hard for. I think in my case, a constituency uh, that I feel is ignored, a constituency uh, that I feel, frankly, is 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 outright. Uh, diminished in terms of importance by the government of, uh, of the day. And I thought that, um, hey, rather than uh, slinging mud and, and, and complaining, I was going to roll my sleeves up and uh, uh, and get dirty and uh, and try uh, to speak up again for those who I don't think are being heard.
1: Are you talking about the Jewish community of Thornhill? Because Thornhill is one of the largest Jewish communities. It's not the only uh, yeah, I think group it's, within I- there. But-
0: look it's, I think it's a, it's a it's a big part of uh, of who I am and the community that I come from, but it's any religious community anywhere in uh, in this country. It's any middle class Canadian anywhere in this country. It's anyone who has got a mortgage, who is worried about paying uh, grocery bills and uh, uh, and home heating and uh, and gas. It is, uh, it is frankly the story of those in the 905 that have a similar story of the one that I grew up with, who want a better life. Uh, and I think that I'll add to the conversation there, and I think I have been adding to the conversation there.
1: Why the conservatives, though? A lot of people would say, okay... Younger woman plays the millennial on TV. Comes from an <laughs> urban riding lesbian. Like why the conservatives? You don't tick any of the boxes for those big bad mean Tories who hate everyone.
0: Well, I'm. I'm this isn't a box ticking activity. This is an activity of you know what you believe and why you believe it. Uh, and uh, first of all, I've always been a uh, a conservative. I believe in smaller government, less government, less intrusion, more responsibility, uh, and those are the values of the the Conservative Party. And I think more and more we're seeing the values of uh, a traditional Liberal Party just throw itself away to uh, to the left. And I, I don't even recognize uh, uh, this this iteration of uh, of the Liberal Party. So not a lot of options in Canadian politics, but this one has always been the one. Uh, that uh, that I've been on, uh, that I've been inside, that I've felt welcome in, and that I've made a home in.
1: Let's talk about your writing, though. Um, sure. Your family, your parents, came from Russia. You were born here, correct?
0: I was born here. Yeah,
1: you were born here. Russian immigrant or Ukrainian immigrant parents who right. you know when left when Russia still controlled Odessa, I believe. Um, there's a large russian population there in addition to a large jewish population in thornhill there's a large chinese population in thornhill i believe they're you know you, you border on ridings with large iranian populations for sure and in, in and, and i'm assuming there's some of that within your area so uh, i mean there's a lot of ethnic cultural religious diversity but also a lot of groups that are involved in the big news stories of the day uh how does that play out within your writing right now? Um, you know, the the protests in China, the protests in Iran, the Russian and Ukrainian populations, the Jewish population with the, the rise in anti-Semitism, it, that's got to be Quite the melting pot in your area.
0: It is. It's actually, when you think about it, it uh, it's touched by every single issue, and 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 we have a large Filipino population. Um, you know, we have a we have a large um, South Asian uh, community frankly we we've got a community of people that are a lot like my parents who came here sometimes in the 70s or in the 80s they worked hard they to to get ahead they bought their first home at you know a fraction of the price of a of, of a home today in my case my dad came here as an uncredentialed engineer who drove a taxi to put my mom through school The problem is is that 45 years later in their case the story is not much different the story is uncredentialed engineer drives Uber to maybe put wife through school. Um, mm-hmm. We haven't, we haven't, we haven't, we haven't gone, um, we haven't done very much to make life easier for that immigrant story. And I always ask my dad if he would do it again. Uh, he says yes, of course, a million times over, but it's going to be a heck of a lot harder. So on the, you know, on the other issue that you bring up, we we are. We are like sort of the center of the universe of when all of these issues uh, come come to pass. We have a large Iranian community sort of on the east side of uh, of my uh, of my writing, and I've always, I've 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 always been interested, frankly, in this issue. Went to high school with, uh, uh you know, with, uh, you know, as a half Jewish, half Persian kid, uh, high school, and we sort of understood why our parents respectively left the countries that they left, and so I was in tune with. But frankly, they have a very similar story of 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 running from a regime that is now 43 years uh, in uh, in power that kills its own people, that kills Canadians, that intimidates our, our our community. These are these are issues, you know, the the protests in China, the aggression in. Uh, in, in Ukraine by Putin, these are issues that come to pass at home. Uh, and they're really, really connected to to the community, and they're felt by families and friends, uh, and those that our community absorbs of, of people wanting to come to Canada uh, for a better life. And what we've got to do is we've got to make sure that we create the conditions here that each and every one of them uh, can succeed rather than having, frankly, that, uh, that diaspora fight, if you will, on the ground.
1: Pierre Polyev, your your leader, won with a campaign that talked a lot about getting rid of the gatekeepers. And he talked about getting rid of the gatekeepers who stop people like your dad from being able to be an engineer or from being able to buy their house. Now, my parents came a few years earlier than yours to this country. They came in in 68. I was born a while later. But they were able to buy their first house. When I was about two, about five years into being here, they were able to buy their first house. That's unless you come with a lot of money, that doesn't happen the same way that it used to. How do we fix that? What what are the proposals the conservatives are putting forward for not just newcomers, but everyone? I mean, how many of your friends do you know who have been priced out of the market Um, or, you know, how many stories do you know of people who decided to sell and now they can't get back in because of the way things went? It, it, it is an insane situation where the cost of living doesn't keep up with what we have and whether it is food or even worse housing.
0: Yeah, look, I come from, uh, from a community, a typical 905 community, actually a little bit closer to Toronto, so the price is out of control. But there is nobody I know Uh, Or the few exceptions, very few people I know can afford to live in the place where we grew up. Uh, Same story, Brian. My, you know, my parents bought their home, uh, a a rather large family family home north of Toronto. It was about 180 grand uh, back in the day. Uh, Good the good thing for them is they didn't have all of the fancy financial advisors and the, you know, the, the, the generous pension plans from, uh, uh, from a guy who drove a cab to went to owning small businesses. The equity that they have in the, you know, in the, in their home is what helped their retirement. But there is, frankly, there's a billboard. Um, and I, I've made a comment about this. There's a billboard in Toronto that I saw last year and it's, Try to you know try, can't afford a home, get richer parents. The truth is, is that that first generation like uh, <laughs> like me. Well, I don't have rich parents. I've got you know parents that worked really hard, that got ahead, that you know tried to give us the best that they that they could. Um, but they ain't buying me a house. Yeah, very uh, and if very m- that's, like me, yeah. <laughs> very middle
1: class parents, very sure. normal way of living.
0: And if that's, the, like, if that's the solution, something's got to change in, uh, in this country. And it can't be uh, an overcorrection of, of higher interest rates because of overspending that we're seeing from, from this government. It has to be a build, a supply side solution of we got to get more shovels in the ground. We've got to make it uh, affordable for builders to build. We've got to find them the spots to build and we've got to let them do it. Uh, because we know that the demand is there. We just have an issue with supply. And that's where, you know, that's where the leader talks about. That's where Pierre talks about the the gatekeepers. It costs hundreds of thousands of dollars in permitting and taxes for a home before you even spend a dollar on the building materials. That's a problem in a country with a massive landmass and all of the building materials that we need in our backyard and a bunch of labor to do it. On
1: the gatekeeper side of getting people into the jobs they need, um, you know, we've got a health crisis going on right now. And you and I are in Ontario, but across the the country, um, premier is trying to scramble to get people approved and not just people who were trained elsewhere, but get people in. We do have a, a guild system for a lot of professions still. It, it's um, not actually about making sure that we've got enough people for the job. It's about keeping people out sure. so that you keep control of who's in. And, and look, to a degree, you, you know, you you want standards for doctors. You want standards for nurses. Um, but this becomes part of the ongoing issue of not enough people filling the jobs that, that we need. How are you guys proposing to tackle that compared to what the, the liberals are talking about, which... Doesn't seem to, they, they just say, let's bring in more people. Okay, well, it's great if you bring in more people, but if you don't have houses for them, you don't have jobs, and, and when they get here, the jobs they were trained for before they can't do, that's, that's no solution at all.
0: For sure. And we're, we're lucky where we are in one of the Western countries that still, uh, you know, that still puts a high importance uh, and is really accepting of, of more immigration, larger numbers. Uh, but at the same time, we've got to make sure that we have a place to house those people uh, that, that, uh, that come in. New Canadians need a, need a place to go to school and use a hospital and, uh, uh, and, and raise their families. And at the same time, we've got to put people to work within their professions, within a scope of practice that makes uh, sense. And there's lots of different pieces to that. You talked about, you know, one of the gatekeepers, I'll just, I'll say it out loud. What, what I think you meant is some of the unions are keeping out uh, medical professionals from the profession. And you're right, we do need standards. But at the same time, we we also, there's nothing that should stop a doctor who's trained in a place like Germany from, uh, from practicing here, not more, you know, not more med schools. Perhaps they have kids in hand. Perhaps they've got, uh, you know, they've got other responsibilities. Med school isn't an option anymore, and it shouldn't uh, be the same thing on nurses. We've got nurses that aren't practicing to uh, to their full scope, and that's a fight between a couple of different unions. We've got pharmacists that can't give you something for diaper rash. We actually need every level <laughs> of government, uh, you know, thinking about what they can do to make the system make sense for those who are using it. Uh, and I don't think that this is throwing standards out uh, out of the window. I think it's just getting some of the, uh, the typical red tape, if you will, uh, or, or the, the things that we're used to doing when our population was much, uh, much smaller out of the way. We've got to get those people out of the way so we can serve the population here. We've got a crisis, and it's not just more money that's going to fix it.
1: We've heard a little bit about, or we've talk, spoken a little bit about immigration here. And of course, the Trudeau government says they want to be bringing in half a million people a year. I'm not actually sure that we have the infrastructure in place to do that. And that's my big concern about it, which is not an anti-immigrant stance. It's a sure. where are we going to house them? We've already got a housing crisis. Um, we're, you know, we, we spent years not building infrastructure that we need for the existing population. But do you get actual anti-immigrant pushback? I get some in my email. Do you get some as, a, as, as an MP? Do you hear from people who say, well, you know, we wouldn't have a housing crisis if we didn't bring in so many foreigners?
0: Yeah, look, of course we, we, we hear that and I'll dismiss it as quickly as I'll dismiss it here. Um, I think that's, you know, I think that's Looney Tunes. Uh, I, as a child of immigrants, as a, as a somebody from a community of immigrants that makes our community go round and round, I have absolutely zero time for, for, for that sentiment. But I do get your concern. Uh, the good news for you, Brian, is that this government couldn't bring an immigrant in if they tried. If you stood in our office, if you were, if you spent a day in our office, the amount of people with claims that are, you know, a year long, two years long, three years long of trying to get families in, of trying to get sponsorship in, uh, it is absurd. We've got a backlog in this country of 2.8 million immigrants uh, and about an hour or two of an appointment a week trying to clear the cases that come into our office. So the 500, you know, the 500,000 a year, while it's a lofty goal and one that is important to fill our workforce with what we need, uh, it is not a goal that this government who has lost the plot can ever achieve.
1: So the, the one that I keep pointing to, because it, it relates to my personal story, my dad was a skilled tradesman when he came to this country. To get a skilled trades approval is currently, it bounces between 47 and 48 months. Four years. Who's going to wait for that? So I remember that What's came he going to do
0: in the meantime?
1: Yeah, I went to my mother and I said, when you applied to come to Canada, how long did it take? She said, ah, uh, it was a few months, but that was mostly because we wanted to get our stuff in order. It, they were actually approved within weeks back then. And we were taking large numbers in the late 60s, but perhaps not as large now, but we were still taking large numbers. It was weeks. And then they took a couple of months to get their affairs in order to move income to the country we we've got an express program for investors that's almost two years <laughs> and i just we've think got, uh, why, you know, why wouldn't they go somewhere else coming
0: in uh, and that's exactly the point i think we're going to lose some of these skilled trades i think we're going to lose some of these students that uh, that come and uh, and study in our universities and uh, you know and, and eventually hopefully become canadians we're going to lose those people in the meantime, if it does take long, there needs to be programs in place where we're going to fund some of that education, where we're going to give uh, you know, new Canadians and immigrants uh, a little bit of a hand up while, uh, while maybe they, uh, they get their credentials in order, maybe they upskill. Uh, we want to create bigger paychecks for people. Uh, and doing that is, uh, you know, the job of the government is making sure that if they're in a lower skilled job that we can put them in a medium skilled job, give them the training, give them a couple bucks in their pocket while they're doing it, uh, and then have everybody move up that ladder so their life is more fulfilling uh, and their paychecks are bigger.
1: I'm a big fan of bigger paychecks. I'm going to send you my (laughs) boss's uh, contact info. I'll see if you can talk to her. Um, We'll be back in a couple of minutes uh, with Melissa Lansman. We're going to take a break. I do want to talk about the the rough couple of weeks that the Trudeau government's had, some own goals. And I want to delve more into the issue of anti-Semitism that has broken out, not just in this country, but elsewhere as well, with Melissa Lansman when we return. Melissa Landsman, one of the most recognizable voices and figures for the Conservative Party in their new iteration under Leader Pierre Polyev. She's deputy leader for the party, one of his go-tos in question period. And Melissa, you've um you've quizzed the government on a lot of different topics. I want to ask you about them being rattled over the last week or so, last couple of weeks, a couple of own goals. One, their gun legislation, which I don't think they realized the anger they were going to generate by doing a massive overreach and getting Hunters and New Democrats and Bloc Quebecois MPs and rural liberal MPs upset. And the the whole issue of of China and interference and a contract with the RCMP uh, with a country that is ultimately controlled by the Chinese government. So uh, let's start with the gun thing. They were moving along with Bill C21 pretty handily. They seem to have a lot of public support. For sure. And then they bring in a last minute amendment. Were you shocked at one that they did that? Two, that they seem so caught off guard. Because they've gone from saying "you're lying," "you're spreading disinformation," to "we're listening," <laughs> "we're going to talk about That's things." A, that, it
0: was a pretty quick uh, "you're lying" to uh, "to we're listening," and and like you said, like, this is, you know, this was a huge miscalculation, uh, and you're seeing it from any rural MP, any MP that has an indigenous population. You know, they've they've done something where you know ostensibly they could have got this through. Uh, I don't think it does anything to actually prevent crime and and shootings in a neighborhood like mine or or just south of me, but that's besides the point. And then they put this amendment in sort of a sneaky way where I actually, you know, it, it boils down to they don't talk to anyone. They don't talk to anyone but each other. They're, you know, the, the cabinet that probably put this through is a bunch of urban MPs, uh, who, who don't know the importance of this, who don't understand that this is, you know, a way of life for so many Canadians that don't live in an urban centre. I think they just stopped talking to people. They start, they were talking to activists that were, uh, you know the anti-gun and anti-all gun uh, and they stopped talking to regular people and that's what happens and then they got caught and then they lied about it and now we're seeing uh, a bit of a backtrack which is you know hopefully results in uh, in them scratching them scratching this and starting over
1: I my guess is they're going to try and do the bare minimum in backtracking to get this through I it, it kind of when it was mainly just conservatives going after them on this though they didn't seem to care it was conservatives it was columnists like myself um and others in the media i'll, I'll grant my media colleagues uh fair credit on this a lot of them even over at CPC, were looking and saying this is this is problematic this goes after hunting guns it, and then carrie price came out and it became a big issue in quebec and then they were like oh no we angered quebec that's bad but the, the AFN and every indigenous group coming after them, I think, r- was really shocking uh, to them. Were you surprised or had you heard by the time it became public that they were moving in that direction?
0: Well, we heard that they were moving in uh, certainly in that direction. And, and it's just, you know, goes to show you that the, the, the government, this is a... This is an announcement government. This is an Instagram government. This is a TikTok government. They do the fancy, they do the fancy announcements, and then when it comes to, you know, actually carrying out policy or actually getting something done, uh, that's where it's all screwed up. And we see it on legislation like this, sort of the sneaky underhand. We don't know what we're doing. Um, we we've overreached too. You can't get a passport. You can't immigrate here. Uh, you can't use basic government uh, uh, services. This is a government that loves announcements, that loves more responsibility, that loves to take on more and actually is incapable of doing the very basics. And I think this legislation is, frankly, the biggest assault we've seen. On, uh, on hunting, uh, on hunters, on farmers, on, uh, uh, on, on indigenous trappers. Uh, and it's not about, you know, in a community like mine, it's not about necessarily the crux of the issue, which guns are there and which guns are not. Uh, um, although I do view this as an assault. It's about how blatantly you lie to the public on an amendment that could just that is open uh, and you can read that is on the table Mm -hmm. we're not doing this versus well yes you are
1: (laughs) there's an old saying i think we can say it on a podcast don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining and that's what they were doing (laughs) Uh, you you called them an instagram government and uh, tiktok government that they love announcements I remember when the uh, the Liberals were in power under Paul Martin, um, and I was there for the Environment Commissioner releasing a report, and she said that they love announcements, but they have forgotten by the time the confetti hits the floor. And, and your description there reminded me of, of that. You're someone who's been in government, not as an elected official, but as a staffer. Sure. And staffers have... You know, depending on the minister, depending on the government, they either have influence, they have say, but or they just see how things work. You were in the Harper government at a time when passports, I, you know, now it's forever to get a passport. Passport Canada used to be considered one of the gold standards of the government. You got a passport in days. They would tell you up to 10 business days, it'd show up five days later. Um How did how did we get there? I mean, I don't think it's just the pandemic. Are these guys just not interested in the day to day mechanics of of how government works?
0: That's that's exactly it. They're not interested in the in the hard works. Look, on the hard work, passports aren't, uh, you know, passports aren't sexy. There's no, there's no Instagram, uh, announcement about like, Hey, look at this shiny new passport office. Like, great. Awesome. Uh, this is a government, you know, this is a service that I expect from my government. I pay a lot of taxes, uh, and it is only in the news when it is a really big problem, but it's the, you know, it's, it's the doing the hard work of, uh, uh of government, the, the mechanics of government and a big part of that, Brian. And I don't know when last time you were in Ottawa, but Ottawa and downtown Ottawa is still empty, uh, and all you've got to do is talk to any one of the MPs in this house. It doesn't matter what party you're from. That we have trouble reaching somebody, uh, you know, from Immigration. We have trouble reaching somebody from Passport Canada. We have trouble reaching somebody from CRA, uh, and and kids in the background, dogs barking, uh, those are less productive hours. There's no question about it. And if it wasn't the case, then we wouldn't have news story after news story about the failure to deliver the very basics for taxpayers. I
1: I was speaking with one MP when passports were in the news much more often. And uh, people may not know, but there is a special line for offices of MPs to be able to call to deal with passport issues. Um, It's kind of a a backdoor for you guys, right? And if you've got a hard case, you call up the passport office. I heard from one MP who said their uh, assistant spent four and a half hours on hold to get through on a line that used to be 10 to 15 minutes.
0: Yeah, it's a a regular occurrence, uh, what happens in my office, and shout out to uh, Miriam, who is a godsend when it comes to that stuff. But uh, it is, you know... You come in in the morning, you dial it, and you just wait to sit on hold, and hopefully somebody answers uh, that day. One day, you pile up all your cases, uh, and you try to get as much, you know, as much out of any human that will answer the phone. And this is getting worse. It's getting worse with uh, with grant applications. A lot of this stuff is questionnaires. It's done online. Uh, it's hard to explain to a robot on the other side. Uh, that this case is unique that this case is important that they do good work uh, and it's hard it, it becomes harder to advocate for uh, for your own community when they standardize this into the lowest common denominator and the lowest level of service we've seen in a long time
1: I want to double back to something I said I'd ask you about and then we got sidetracked on um, on on how wonderful government services are in Ottawa <laughs> uh, the other own goal that they had um Look, this whole issue of the Trudeau government in China is bizarre to me. He was asked multiple times before his big foreign tour um, in early November. He and Melanie Jolie asked multiple times about foreign election interference, never denies it once, never says he wasn't briefed on it. Let's think he caused an international incident with Chinese President uh, Xi Jinping and And then later says, "But nobody told me about money, so you got that. then you've got the r c m p contract you've got the police stations which really I've, I've gone to visit them they're they're more intimidation stations um people going out and trying to coerce uh- Ch- the Chinese diaspora inside Canada all of these things going on and then last week when it, it seemed like a crescendo with the r c m p contract and and this firm that's controlled by China, getting a, a secure communications contract with them. He turned around and he blamed the civil servants. I mean, he sets the policy, right? Tell tell me this is a both an elected official and a former political staffer. The government of the day sets the policy. The bureaucrats follow it, don't they?
0: For, for sure. I mean, the call is literally coming from inside of the House uh, on, uh, on this one. Uh, look, we know... Um, we know that all of these issues combined was a big reason that they put out a uh, their Indo-Pacific strategy. And it was in total 100% about face on China. This is a government that for the last seven years moved our countries closer together. And then in one foul swoop, in one weekend, on one Sunday, by the way, during a World Cup game when Canada was playing, they decided <laughs> that they were going to get tough on China. It's a complete nonsense. There is a lot of questions and they're not questions about, you know, what the prime minister knew and when he knew it. It's about real, uh, real questions about who in the house of commons, uh, you know, either received money, received help, or is being infiltrated by a foreign government. It is an incursion into our sovereignty uh, because of those police stations. It is a question about why have we not seen a single Chinese diplomat uh, from Beijing, uh, either a consulate or, or from the embassy be expelled in this country for doing what is clearly obvious. And then, of course, I don't even think is, they've you know, called the, them in, for, the, have they? The, the, the cherry. I, well, look, we don't we don't know that it's uh, it's hard to get an answer out of this government. It's not called answer, period, although I'll, I'll continue to ask <laughs> questions. But then, you know, cherry on top with an RCMP uh, getting surveillance technology. From a company that literally has 23 espionage charges in the US against their parent company like if that is you know you can't even make this stuff up uh, and uh, again no no answers and I and I hope that Canadians are uh, are, are becoming attuned to this because the only way to fight, this kind of intrusion, this, uh, you know, frankly, anything from, uh, from Beijing is to shine a light on it, to make it transparent, to make sure that they know that we know, so they can't do it again.
1: We'll wrap up uh, talking about the rise of anti-Semitism, because there's a lot of disturbing things over the past while. And it's difficult. I like you, you, you know people on all sides of the House, and I don't think that they're actually anti-Semites over there on the liberal side, but they seem not to have their antenna up when they're giving contracts to people like Leith Maroof. Um, when MPs from all parties end up at an event, I don't know who organized it, with Holocaust deniers showing up as guests. Well, as a Jewish woman who represents an area with a large Jewish population, this has to hit you hard. But as an MP, as a Canadian, how disturbing is it that, well, that this is dist- going on?
0: It's disturbing, frankly, that nobody cares. Uh, that I sometimes am the lone voice that raises these issues. And I shouldn't say nobody cares. It's that you know nobody is bringing it to the forefront. There are... There are members of the government who sit there uh, in the caucus watching hundreds of thousands of dollars flow to anti-Semites. You know, this is, it's not a mistake when it happens over and Mm -hmm. over again. It's not an accident. It's a purposeful, uh, it's a purposeful act by some within the government that have an outsized role and an outsized, frankly, contribution to the way in which our, uh, our, our, our government is, is headed. I can't explain it any other way because there are voices against anti-Semitism in every party, but I don't know. They've been silenced because I'm not hearing them.
1: Anthony Housefather, man I've known a long time, um, met him when I was working in Montreal many, many years ago. He raised the issue of laith Maruf with the government months yeah. before they did anything. There is a a blind eye, a a willingness to just look the other way, if not outright accept this. And I was talking with Erwin Kotler recently, I interviewed him as he was getting the Churchill Award here in Toronto. Great man, great outspoken opponent of anti-Semitism. He's beside himself over this.
0: I was you know i would say the same thing i saw him uh, i saw him just a week ago and he was he 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 just questions like how did this all happen and i you know i jokingly like tapped him on the shoulder and uh, i don't know what we're allowed to say on this podcast but erwin since you left this place went to shit uh and and the truth is, is there is people like Anthony who, who have brought this up, but it happens. It happens consistently over and over again. And if it's not, you know, if it's not the cover-up of Laith Mariv, it's funding to a publication that's calling for Holocaust, that calls the, the Holocaust a Holocaust a hollow hoax. Uh, And if it's not that, then it's inviting these people to rub shoulders at a reception on Parliament Hill. And if it's not that, it's hosting a conference on International uh, uh, Human Rights Day uh, with somebody who has said just the most vile things about the Jewish people. And it just continues to happen. And we continue to bring it up. And it just happens again and again. It's not a mistake. It's a purposeful act.
1: Michael Levitt, who uh, was a Liberal MP for a neighboring riding of yours um, in north of Toronto, is now CEO of the Friends of Simon we- Wiesenthal Centre, said, It would warm the cockles of my heart if rather than having to apologize for swanning around with anti-Semites and Holocaust deniers on Parliament Hill, MPs didn't invite them in the first place. Too much to ask? I don't think it is too much to
0: ask. No, and I think there is, a, uh, is an unsaid reason uh, why a principled man like Michael Levitt doesn't sit within the Liberal Caucus anymore. All
1: right. Melissa Lantzman, I uh, want to thank you for your time, and we will see you in a, um, a, a very quiet spot in Ottawa sometime in the, in the future, I'm sure, uh, if not back here in Toronto. All the best.
0: Sounds good. Take care.
1: Full Comment is a post-media podcast production. My name's Brian Lilly, guest host for this week. This episode was produced by Andre Pru. The theme music is by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. Remember, you can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Amazon Music, even anywhere you get your podcast. You can also listen through the app or your Alexa-enabled devices, and you can do us a big favor by giving us a rating or leaving a review, and by telling your friends. Thanks for listening.
0: Talk soon.